Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston, and tonight I'm joined by the world-famous Steph Stradley, as you know her from uh, the Houston Chronicle blog and, and social media and everything else. How are you doing tonight, Steph? I'm doing great. Well, good, good. Uh, well, I had you on the show for two reasons. One, uh, you went to Europe to watch the Houston Texans play, and two, the Texans are at the bye week, and I want to get kind of want to hear your thoughts on the team and where they how their season's gone so far and how you kind of expect their season maybe play out for the rest of the year as well, too. Sure. So I'm an ethnocentrist, but not like in a jingoist, bad, uh, America's number one way, but in a kind of like more cute way where the only thing I know is America. Usually if I go on vacation, I just go backpack in national parks around the country and that sort of thing. And so I've never been to Europe. I've never been to you know South America or any places like that. Nothing like super exotic, uh, nothing as exotic as London. Uh, so... That flight out there, like how long of a flight was it? And what do you do for that long of a flight? Well, you know, I really haven't traveled very much at all uh, internationally because I'm the oldest of seven kids. <laughs> and so by, by the time I was doing much traveling, uh, I either had very little vacation time or were taking care of family members. So I decided that when we were going to go to London, I was going to, you know, like if that happened, I was going to go. So, you know, the flight over is not terrible if you prepare for it. Like on the way there, it's a red eye. So I would like to think of it as a time machine where you just, you know, like, okay, I'm going to go to sleep. And then when I wake up, I'm in London. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, that that's useful if you're somebody that can fall asleep on planes. Now, one of the things I tried out for this time, because it has been probably, I, I can't even remember the number of years since I've gone across the pond, as they say. I use the Time Shifter app to kind of give me kind of a guideline of how can I get to London and feel good when I'm there and then feel good when I come back. And so um, this is an unpaid ad for Time Shifter. So far, it has worked. I'm still on it, the Time Shifter. Like right now, I'm supposed to be getting light before I go to bed. But it tells you like when you're supposed to have light, when you're supposed to have caffeine and all that. Now, flying back, you're more awake on the way back. So I watched three movies on the way back and it was great because I never, you know, I was catching up on some things. So that was kind of nice. Did you watch anything good at all? I liked everything I watched. I saw the documentary Apollo 11, which shows the um, actual archival footage of Apollo 11, you know, as it was happening and, you know, news reports at the time. I watched Booksmart, which is kind of a, a coming of age thing of nerds who have decided that um, before they graduate high school, the day before their graduation, they're actually going to do some partying. And, um, and it was a clever movie. And then I also watched the Spider-Man movie, uh, uh, Far From Home. And what I didn't know was the key scene in the movie or one of the key scenes involves the, the Tower Bridge in London, which is one of the locations where we took a group picture. So like I was now familiar with that because, you know, anytime that you travel anywhere, 
it kind of gives you more context of what you're seeing when you just see things on TV. Yeah, for sure. I know uh, a good example for that for me is the Delicate Arch in Zion National, or not Zion National Park, but Arches National Park. I Uh thought it was like, you know, four feet tall or something, like some cute little rock. And no, it's like three stories high. Like it's, it's enormous. And and like, you don't really have any idea how big things actually are, what they really look like until you see them in person. Or, or, you know, just, you know, going out, going out in the middle of nowhere and looking at the stars. Like I remember the first time seeing Milky Way, you know, it's one thing if you're seeing pictures of it. It's another thing when you're just looking up and, you know, the sky goes forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, and like the flight, like I'm a very tall person. Did you have like nice leg room? Was it comfortable? Uh, is this something like anybody can do? Uh, how tall are you? I'm like six, six or so. You would not be enjoying an international flight because I am all of five, eight and I barely fit in some of the seats. Now, I would say that if you choose to go to Europe, then I would invest in a a business class ticket and just kind of put that into your budget for the trip because 6-6 in the back of the plane would not be any fun at all. Mm, Yeah, that's good advice. And usually I'll just like sit kind of cross-legged and and kind of sleep with like my neck broken. And it works out okay, but... I think it's a little bit different if it's like an eight-hour flight, this sort of thing. Nine hours. Nine, Nine hours. hours. Okay. Nine hours. It yeah, is. I may have to do that then if I do that ever. No, and it's weird. Like if you ever – like I, I used to travel to um, Anchorage all the time on business. And if you can get the upgrade, then it's like, oh, yeah. So this is how life should be. Yes. So, so what day did you land in London and what were you able to do before the game on Sunday? Uh, I, I, it was a kind of weird planning on my part cause I arranged this so long ago. I didn't really realize, you know, how the, um, world series would be a part of it. So I left Wednesday night and was just hoping that the Astros would win then. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, staying up for Astros baseball was not very compatible with when the time shifter app was telling me to go to bed. Um, and then, uh, so I was in the air for game, game seven, which was just both, both a nightmare, but probably for the best. And, you know, you can get some live stuff on, on the airplanes, but when you're over the ocean, you really can't. And so when I was getting to London, I was flipping through what they said were the live channels and you have like the BBC and all that. And I caught it on CNN and it saw the celebration. And I'm like, I'm really kind of glad I'm going to be missing um, radio and Twitter and things after losing game seven. So that was, that was that. But then um, the things that we were able to do, uh, they had the NFL sets up a pub in London as kind of the location for festivities uh, for, and they do it for all the teams. So, so we had a Texans pub, so I was able to do that. Uh, I did the traveling Texans picture and I was staying with friends in a really cool neighborhood. So I did a lot of things with friends too. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I know that I've seen those traveling Texans posts, you know, on the internet and it, I know like they always take a picture of some certain like locale for, uh, that location. Where are they take it for the, for in London in this time? So they they set it up in front of the um, Tower Bridge, and there's like um, 
an area of town. Like I, I went to this place called the Borough Market before the picture, which is just the most gigantic farmer's market with just incredible food. And then we sauntered over there and there's not like one location. Like it was a picture place that was supposed to be with the, with the bridge in the background, but there were like different like levels of it. And nobody was really there to say, Oh, where you're supposed to be. So we started off in one location and then I saw a Chronicle photographer friend of mine and it said, you know, would it look better if we went down there? you know, you're the professional. He goes, I'm not in charge. And I'm like, I, yeah, I know you're in charge, but you're a professional. Would it look better? And he goes, yeah. So I just yelled at everybody. He's like, everybody go down, down there. Like, I'm not in charge at traveling Texans, but I am loud. And, you know, if, if need be, I can tell people what to do. So everybody went down and they took some pictures there. And then there was like this even lower area, which I guess is kind of some amphitheater that goes with like the businesses there. And so somebody else said, hey, everybody go down there. And so then I yelled at people to go down there. So people did. And so that was actually the picture that probably was shared the most. And then um, the cheerleaders, we were told like, stay right there because the cheerleaders are coming and they were like giving away stuff, which was nice. And then... Um, and then the cops showed up, and so we all had. To... <laughs> I mean, it was a it was a public place, but it kind of wasn't a public place. So then they just kind of told us to haul ass. So we did. And then there was supposed to be another picture at uh, the stadium, but they had to keep moving the location of it because like places were kind of like you couldn't get to them. And then at some point, like the tailgate area was so packed. It was like, okay, we're just going to take some pictures, but this is not going to be as cool. I mean, it's just the logistics of London, like London was a fun place for traveling Texans kind of deal, but the logistics were kind of difficult because it's a huge, huge city. And where they had the pub wasn't particularly close to Wembley or where a lot of people were staying. So, but you know, it was fun. Like the, I think the biggest misconception of traveling Texans is that to be a part of this group, you just have to go, Hey, I want to go to a, a Texans game on the road. And you go to that game. Well, then you're traveling Texans. It's not like there's dues or you have to like pay something. It's just this idea that came, came from when we had the first um, road playoff game in Baltimore there had always been you know, fans that would go on road trips, but before 2011, it kind of sucked because you know the team was not good. Uh, and so when you have a better team, it's more fun to go to a road trip. And so there was a whole big group of people that were going to go to this road trip. And then just online, people were like, okay, well, let's meet someplace for drinks ahead of time, or you know, let's walk to the stadium together, and let's you know, do something tailgating you know, before the game. And then it just kind of grew from there and, you know, it, you might as well put a name to it. So it's not really, it's an authorized group by the Texans, but they don't really run it. It's more kind of fan based and, you know, it's just kind of evolved over time based on just interest of people. So like you are a traveling Texan because you have expressed interest in going to a road game. Okay. That. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't, I didn't know it started after the Baltimore game in 11. And that makes sense. Like it would have been very much fun to fly to Cincinnati in 2004 when they went two and 14 or whatever. No, um, and, and what was great about Baltimore is like, I guess there was some guy who was a UT alum that owned a bar in this particular part of Baltimore. 
and he's you know he had Shiner Bach there and from what I understand they sold out of Shiner Bach within like 30 minutes of of the game or I mean of of it starting starting there so but like some cities are better for traveling than other cities like Nashville I haven't been to that as a traveling Texan, but I understand that's a lot of fun because of just kind of the logistics of the city. You know, it's not too spread out for like the places you want to go. New Orleans is fun to travel to. I, I went to that for a Super Bowl and, you know, you, you have to run into people because you're in the quarter and you can walk from the quarter to the stadium. You know, places that are more spread out like Wembley is is way on the other side of town. Like from the place where the Texans pub was to Wembley, I think would be probably 45 minutes, assuming no traffic. I mean, it's just a big city. Uh, so, you know, someplace and like, you know, we had all those road games against the Patriots and, you know, Boston, you know, their stadium is so far away from Boston proper that it's, it's not as fun, but you know, there were still some great pictures taken in Boston and Chicago and the best traveling Texan picture I think was in San Diego where they did it on top of the Midway. Oh, That's, cool. That was an amazing picture. I've only gone to four, four away games. Um, but, and this is the first victory, but it's not in, you know, it's not a coincidence that this is the first Deshaun Watson game I've seen on the road. Yeah, yeah, it makes it a lot better to go there and, and see him compared to you know Tom Savage or whatever. So, yeah. so I had a question about Wembley. I know, like, if you look on, I was kind of looking at the stadium and learning some about it. Uh, whenever last week before Houston was going out there, and it says Wembley, London, England. So, like, could you call the Houston Texans the Wembley Londons? Is Wembley like a, <laughs> a city within the state, or is it like a suburb there? How does that work exactly? You know, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, it just kind of felt like going to Sugarland. Only, you know, it's it's in, you know, it's still in London. It's still, yeah. I mean, it's on the outskirts, but I, I, I don't know. I have to say. Okay, um, it's like the locals there, the people of London. Were they friendly? Did they assume that you ride a horse to work because you're from Texas? And did you pick up any new slang at all that you've taken back with you? Uh, you know. I, everybody there was very, very friendly to us, but it probably didn't hurt that I was with a group of like a bunch of my lady friends. Um, so that that's probably a positive. Um, everybody was was pretty friendly, and and you know, uh, the cab drivers were were hilarious. You know, you I know that you appreciate a, a turn of a phrase, and they just say things a little differently there. And I had one cab driver named William that was as funny as like going to a comedy club. I mean, he talked about everything. And of course I was egging him on because I just like listening to him talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's always kind of fun to meet somebody where you're like, I don't even care what you're saying. I just like listening yeah. to whatever you say. Oh yeah. They incredible, incredible BS. I, in fact, I, I flew up on American Airlines and back on British Airways, and I think I want to fly British Airways for everything because I like listening to how the pilot talks and how the flight attendants talk. I mean, it's just, they just say things in a way. It's like, yes, <laughs> I appreciate this. 
And it, it can be the opposite. Like I went to Boston, I think two years ago, and I was just like, I was listening to him talk and it was just a bunch of nonsense. And then you also see things like I saw queso in a bread bowl and they were dipping chips into oh. that. And I'm like, this is a, you know, they've traveled so far away from God up here. I, I have no idea what this is. Well, you know, it was funny. Uh, my friends at the stadium ordered a two foot long pile of nachos. And I'm like, you guys came all the way here to eat nachos. And they're like, it was the best thing available. And actually, it looked as far as stadium nachos go, it actually looked pretty good. Like it was a good effort. Now, it, it took me a while to find non Budweiser beer at Wembley. Like I am not <laughs> Wembley to eat, you know, drink Bud, but it took me a while. Like there was a, like a whole separate station. But apparently, there's a lot of things that I noticed there where they kind of fetish American things. Like Bud seemed to be one of those things. Uh, you would go into certain shops and it was all like playing American rap and and having some style that was like American, you know, logos and things. And I just thought that was kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I was. Uh, those one things I was wondering if the NFL tried to turn those into like like try and make this like an American event, like we're trying to bring America to London, or are we you know Londonizing the NFL. How do you think it kind of fell over there? I think I think they try to Americanize it a bit. Like, you know, in the tailgate area, there was a lot of American products in the tailgate area. And there's, you know, a lot of the fans, you know, were locals. So like, this is kind of their American treat. But I have to say, I read some, some, you know, local newspapers and their sports page is absolutely incomprehensible to me. <laughs> So I am sure that they feel the same way about American football because I was getting a lot of questions about it. And, you know, it's very basic stuff. It's like, you know, is that the, the, the odd shaped ball? Um, is that a football right there? Yeah. Yeah. Like they don't <laughs> like, like I, I was talking about the importance of a quarterback to this one person and, and then he would get that confused with the fullback. It's like, no, no, it's the quarterbacks, the important one, the fullback, not so much. But then again, I, I sat next to um, a relative of one of the people I was visiting, and you know he's local and he likes American football, and he knew all sorts of things about it. Or I posted something from like a, a video. I, I posted this on Twitter that the kid that was sitting behind us had had a catch with J.J. Watt when he visited America, and was was sad about you know he wanted to wish J.J. Watt you know. A, a speedy recovery, but he plays American football. He plays it locally and then he plays it on a UK team. Oh, cool. So, I mean, there's pockets of it, but if you looked at their sports page, there is nothing American sports on it at all. And all the gossip about, you know, you know, European football that is just, and, and actually the, the words that they use in the sports page are, are really funny. Like they just, <laughs> They just express themselves differently, even though it's all English. Gotcha. Do they have like box scores and that sort of thing in there? Or does it kind of read more like rumors and gossip? Uh, there was, I don't know. I hadn't read a whole bunch of it, but it looked like a lot of rumors and gossip and, and betting lines. There's a lot more betting because, you know, you can bet on sports there. Gotcha. So, I know, so if I ever go to London, I'll make sure to read Virginia Woolf, read the, the sports <laughs> section of the newspaper and gamble on some soccer games I have no idea what's happening in. Uh, 
you know, you wouldn't. I think that I think the focus when you go there is the pub pub culture because I I wandered into various pubs and 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 it was I enjoyed them. I have to say I enjoyed the music in restaurants more there than I typically do here. Was it was it like local music to to England or is it just like they just had better selection? Just a better selection. Like I mean, it was music from all over the place, but it was just a better selection. Like it's not just like the top forty things that you've heard like five million times. I mean, it was just kind of a nice chill mix. Yeah, I heard that. Listen to a podcast with somebody from the Black Keys on there. And he was saying he loves going there just listening to the radio because he finds all this music he's never heard of before. Even if he listens to, you know, Sirius or whatever here in America, he said like, yeah, they just play better music there for whatever reason. Yeah, that like going into shops, the whole nine yards. And we're about to get into Christmas music all the time. So I think I need to invest in some some headphones. Yeah, the Bucky's is already selling Christmas ornaments, so... You already know it's it's about to happen here pretty soon, so yes. the, so the game itself, like personally over here, they played at eight thirty, which is you know perfect. Like the Texans got done playing eleven thirty, and then you have the entire day to whatever you need to do. And like somebody writing about the game, it's nice that okay, I can do all this and start writing at six instead of start writing at you know nine o'clock or whatever. So what time was the kickoff actually in London? It was two thirty, and you know I was traveling with a lot of my lady friends, and they they were going to be slow. So I went to the stadium by myself, like not knowing anything there, but I just knew I'd find my people there. And I actually I actually brought gifts with me because I wanted to give away mementos. So I had some wristbands made to just kind of you know share the love, and it said. Um, keep calm and Texan on. And I just would give the, if, if you were wearing Texans gear, I would give this to you. And so I got to meet lots of UK, you know, fans that way. And just locals who were just really excited that, you know, they were getting to go on a trip to London and the area around the stadium is kind of different. Like it's not like, you know, just a whole bunch of parking lots here. You know, there's a lot of businesses and you can duck into those. And then they have a tailgate area set up that was just completely packed. You have to go through security to get into that area. And I mean, like they didn't have enough areas to sell gear for this game because everybody I talked to who actually tried to buy a T-shirt or anything like that, the lines to check out were insane. And I wasn't about to do that. But, you know, you saw a lot of people I knew and it was a lot of fun. And I wanted to go in early enough to watch warm-ups and things and just kind of check it out inside. And they're very specific as to what gate you go into. And part of that is, you know, our fans aren't really split by, you know, you know, home fans on this side, away fans on this side, although people tend to sit, you know, like if you're visiting, visiting you might want to sit behind the visitor's bench, right? They divide the stadium for soccer games like half and half, like half to the left and half to the right. So they don't want their supporters mixing too much. And that's why you're supposed to go through a particular gate, as, at least as it was described by the, the gentleman that was sitting behind us. Uh, the, they did the national anthems of both, both teams and the Brits sang there's in, in very good voice, including the grandfather behind us. He was singing it like opera. It was great. 
they they do the salute to the military thing and they had um they had they were recognizing a particular guy and he was dressed up in the the traditional like tall hat thing that they show outside the castles and stuff. <laughs> and then they 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 pictured him and then he had the honor to ring the bell in the stadium and he was all formal and rang the bell. It's like, okay, this is pretty slick. Uh, I mean, it was just a different, it's a very different experience because they're doing the whole game day as though it's a Jacksonville home game. And, you know, there were a lot of UK people dressed in, in Jags gear and uh, the, the best were all the locals that had the Minshew mustaches on because I must have chatted with like 15 of them. And they were all UK guys just saying, okay, this is fun and cheeky. I'm going to do this. Uh, but, but it was, it's, it's just a, it's a weird experience because it's much more quiet than any road game I've ever been to or any home game ever. Like they don't know when they're supposed to cheer unless the people on the jumbotron say, you know, get loud. And that would maybe happen for third downs, but first and second downs were like, it was quiet, quiet. Like we were sitting behind the Texans bench and like, literally if we yelled things at the players, they could hear what we were yelling. Cause it was very quiet in the stadium, which was, we, we sometimes yelled things just to be funny. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, I didn't like. I know watching it from television, it looked like the fa- the stands were kind of farther back because I know yeah. soccer plays on a wider field. So was it kind of weird watching it uh, in that sort of situation? And also, was that like advertising banner going all the way around the stadium? Was that kind of you know annoying or kind of hard to pay attention to because you're constantly focused on you know this uh, you know, new, uh, central or new uh, Times Square sort of you know advertising going along in the center of the field. Well, where our seats were, I, I guess the guy behind us was saying, oh, there, there's quite a lot of space between here and the pitch, <laughs> you know, because there was a lot of space behind the bench. On the end zones, there wasn't so much. And then whatever this advertising that you're telling me about, that's not something I could see in the stadium. Okay, gotcha. Now, there was there was a time later in the game where people started doing the wave that might've actually been the loudest part, but <laughs> doing it, they were doing it during the time that Jacksonville was on offense. So I was completely okay with the wave in that context. Yeah. That meant she was very flummoxed by that. Yeah. I know like if you watch you know, premier league soccer, the crowds are really close to the field and like they fill up like the width and they come like really far down. It's kind of like how the back of Miami's end zones or the back of Miami's uh, sta- stadium, the seats are like really close to the end zone for that too. So it just, yeah, it just looked kind of like, I don't know, disorienting on TV just because it seemed like there was so much space there. Yeah. And like, like my seats for Texans games are about the same distance as where these seats were, but this was a lot farther from the field, like just a lot farther than the end zones. Not so much. So during the game itself, how bad did the Jaguars' offensive game plan look live and in person? It was it was awesome. It it really was awesome because it, the worse they got, the louder the Texan fans in the crowd got, and that got really fun because people started chanting things, and then 
like it, it got really rowdy. And every time that the special teams came off the field, um, you know, after, you know, like a kick or something, they would start hyping up the fans and would just get really, really loud. And by the end, I mean, there was all sorts of Houston Texans chants and, and, and it was, it was fun. Like they looked, they looked terrible, terrible. Yeah. It, it really didn't make any sense watching it on TV. Just, I know we talked about it kind of earlier this week on the show and Robe on the side, but just with, you know, Gary and Conley and Joseph and playing Mike Adams and Jaleel Adai to safeties deep. And they didn't really throw the ball. They threw zero passes over 20 yards in the first half. And I, they like threw like a lot of quick passes out to the flat. It was just very confusing watching on TV well, how, how I, they went about it. Yeah. I think part of, I think part of it is they, I don't think that they trust going downfield. And, you know, like, you know, yeah, you can see what the, the weaknesses in the Texans are, but unless you have the ability to take advantage of it, I don't think that they felt like they did. Yeah, that's a good point. Because it was also weird, too, they played in week two, that you know, famous two-inch yard line, you know, four-down conversion play, where the Jackson kind of did something similar to the chart, run the ball a lot more, and then it's like, okay, well, we're done by 10. Now we have to throw the ball through the air. They got Minshew in the pocket, and he had success doing that. And yeah. it, was, it kind of felt like that this game too. Like even though he's a they, because he's a rookie, they're like, well, you know, it's rolling down by three, rolling down by ten. We don't need you to you know throw the ball downfield and risk a turnover at all. And then you're down by twenty, and then you throw three interceptions in a row, and it, and it's really all for nothing, you know. And I haven't I haven't watched the TV replay yet, but it, it seemed like there was some footing issues. Just there was a lot of slipping going on, and. The, the way that the weather had been like basically this there's that stadium is like old cowboy stadium you know the you know like a large toilet you know like <laughs> a hole in the roof of it so it had been misting kind of on and off throughout the day and I don't know if that had anything to do with you know maybe staying away from as much passing as you'd want to do mm-hmm. when you're when you're dealing with a secondary that can't be trusted. Yeah, that's interesting. So I know I know you mentioned that they try to make this set up as a Jacksonville home game. So and you said it was pretty quiet and that sort of thing. So I guess this game kinda of felt more like there's just a bunch of people who are fans of NFL football who live in London who are fans of a bunch of different teams or it's like that NFL commercial like football's family and my yeah. family's like a, a Pittsburgh, Minnesota, Washington fan or whatever. So is it like that sort of setup at the game uh, on Sunday? Yeah, a, a little, a little bit. Like you see every single kind of jersey there, and then you you did see a, a more Jacksonville jerseys than I would anticipate. But like one of the Minshews I talked to told me is like, well, I'm really a 49ers fan, but you know they're not playing this game, so I'm I'm wearing this, and and. You know, or I have other people who are saying like, well, you know, yeah, I'm a, you know, a Packer fan because we don't have a team. So you just have to pick one, you know, like I would love for London to have a team, but since they don't, we just have to pick one. And so I was to, to tell the Packer fan that the Texans should be their AFC team because you wouldn't want to have to root for the Jaguars. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, it kind of sounds like, cause I grew up in San Antonio and I was never a Dallas fan. So I remember being like a fan of the Rams and the Packers. And then whenever Houston came around, it's like, well, I guess this is it. I'll just stick with this. And so here, here we are. Um, 
The other question I had about this game specifically was that did any Brock Osweiler jerseys follow you out to London as well? Were they haunting you like you know corpses? I did not see any any of them. Um, they were they were there. They were there. You just they, didn't see them. I, I'm I'm glad I did not see them because <laughs> I, I don't need to have any post traumatic stress. Frankly, yeah, it's good. These are much better days. So would you? Would you recommend going to London for a football game, even if it's the Texans or not? And also, do you think there's enough of an interest in uh, American football or NFL football for like the for London to have a franchise? So let's say like the Los Angeles Chargers, that they moved to London, do you think they would have success there? I think that there's enough people in London who are interested in, in American football that they could do it. Uh, you know, I guess they have the, the new stadium is Tottingham, which we didn't we didn't go to that stadium because I, I guess they had two games there and then two games at Wembley. Um, you know, I, I think there's interest in it. I, I, I worry a little bit about the logistics of having large people having to travel, you know, nine hours across the Atlantic, you know. There, I mean, there are some injuries that don't manifest themselves right away, and you don't want to be in the middle of nowhere if something like that happens. That's a good I mean, point. And they they also may not have that app that you have also. And they, well, they show up sleep-deprived, and, you know, London goes 15-1 just because of the logistics of it. Well, and I, you know, and the tax consequences of having a team there and, you know, just the logistics of, okay – you know, our running back got hurt. Well, are we going to, I guess you'd have to have a tryout space on the East coast and then somehow get, you know, hope that people have passports. I mean, it's, if I were a free agent, I wouldn't particularly want to be there unless, you know, you're just really into, you know, European football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Bill- London's is, is an expensive place. And, you know, doing the mental math of how much things cost, it's not, it's not cheap. Gotcha. Yeah. And I know Bill Barnwell wrote some article at Grantland like five or six years ago about the logistics of an NFL team in, in London. And he like broke down like the best way to do it. I was like, eh, I don't even know if this would work out very well. And I'm sure it's gotten even a little bit more complicated. The game has become more specialized since then. Well, you know, now that LA has a team, you know, London is now the big bugaboo team. Like they always had to have a location that needed a team where you could go, hey, you better pay for this stadium because if you don't, your team's going to be shipped off to, to L.A. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why they got so much, you know, the NFL got so much money when Houston got a team. It's like, well, you know, if you don't pony up, you know, the money and have a plan, you know, L.A. is going to get this team. And they've always used it as a threat. Well, now L.A. has two teams. One of them, you know, is basically a home game for the, the, the road team every week. And so now London's the bugaboo. But, you know, the hard thing about it is even the smallest cities in America have much more NFL fans than London does. They just do. And to in my mind, London has always just been a money play that that in, in some ways it's disrespectful to a community, let's say like San Antonio, to go, oh yeah, London gets a team, but you don't get one. You know, you're one of the largest, most populous cities in America. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I, uh, I, I don't think I could ever see it happening, but I do like the idea of you know playing some games over there and you know, making the game more than just an American thing. And the the Mexico City game in Houston was cool, aside from like the green laser and and the uh, the elevation, and everything else. And so I think playing the game in just like other places just is better, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's best for those franchises that can't sell out their own stadiums. <laughs> the tarp people. Yeah, the tarp people need it, but they do have a pool there, and I would like to wear, you know, cut off jean shorts and sit in the Jacksonville pool and watch, you know, the Texans put like thirty-one to seven on the Jaguars. Well, I was just happy that it was the Jaguars because out of the AFC South, I like I like the Jaguars and their fans the most. You know, like, first of all, they don't travel very well to Houston, so it's not annoying to go to a home game with a bunch of fans about because they're not there. And they share our disdain of the Colts and the Titans. So, you know, if if you were to pick a team to play against in London, the Jags were the best, and also all the Minshews about, they they were good. (laughs) So who would be, so it goes like AFC, you know, South, like, I guess, friendly power rankings would be Jacksonville. And then would you put, would you dislike Tennessee more or Indianapolis more? Uh, uh, Tennessee for sure, because, you know, they took our team and even though I'm, I'm over it, I'm not over it. I'm, I will never be over that. I think, and the Colts have the same issue. They stole their team too. I think that stealing somebody else's team is the most repugnant thing that happens in sports other than making taxpayers pay for the stadiums of billionaires. I mean, it's a horrible thing to do. Hey, we get you all vested into this team and, and, you know, we were paying off the Astrodome for years and years after the, you know, the Oilers left. Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't know that. I I thought the Astrodome had been paid off like 25 years ago. Oh, they okay. The Astrodome had been paid off, and then they um, Bud Adams complained that there weren't enough seats in the Astrodome, so they took out the very popular jumbotron uh, and put in more seats. And then shortly after that, um, he goes, "Well, this is still not good enough, and I'm kind of a jerk and want want it my way, and I'm going to make these secret conversations with Nashville and then move move the team and do it after like." just the most like his his timing was the worst like let's ask for lots of public money when oil is bad and we have had devastating playoff losses to you know the bills and Kansas City Chiefs like like how do you how do you ask how do you make that timing work you don't and you know this is all ancient history and stuff but I'm never going to like that team. And But I will encourage Texan fans whenever possible to go to Nashville and and watch games there. And hopefully the Texans destroy the Titans every time. And then we can hear all the Texan fans um, doing chants on the, on the television broadcast where they're all, they're, you know, they're making it a home game. I love that. I love when that happens. That makes me really happy. Yeah, and plus there's been some good memories of like playing in Nashville in December. Like that game against Zach Manberger, he always comes to mind when they won like 41-10 and Watt sacked him, you know, four times or whatever it was. They always tend to like play them like at the best time in December. And this oh, year it's going to be Ryan Tannehill, which should be which should always be fun. Well, and and I have to say, 
you know, that huge victory that, um, that Watson had his, his rookie season where they, all three phases of the Texans at home just stomped all over the Titans. That might be the most fun I've ever had at a regular season game ever. I mean, the next day I was so sore from high-fiving people. <laughs> like literally, like I woke up the next morning, I was like, why does my shoulder hurt? Oh yeah, that game was really fun and it gave you an idea of what was possible with this team. You know, like, okay, we can talk a big game and da-da-da-da-da, but like this is the team that's possible. And that's that was a team that was really fun to watch. And and having football, you know, like wins and losses, yeah, you know, ugly wins, whatever. Having just a, a soul destroying win is the best thing. And that's one of the reasons why the London game was fun because that got really out of hand at the end and I enjoyed it. Yeah, like Jacksonville completely fell apart then in that game there. So let's, I kind of want to go to more of a macro view now because we are at the bye week of the Texans 2019 season and the Texans right now are 6-3 and three at the bye. According to Football Outsiders, they have, to, they have a 54.7% chance at winning the division. Um, they're half game up on the five and three Indianapolis Colts who may have Brian Hoyer start this week against Miami. I guess it really doesn't matter all that much because the Dolphins are bad. And they're Houston is 10th in DVOA, 9.9%. Their point differential is plus 47. Their expected win loss record is 5.6 to 3.4. Um, they've also played the eighth toughest schedule in football so far this season. So Steph, have the Texans met, have they failed or have they exceeded your expectations so far this season? You know, I'm not even sure what my expectations were for this season. Like, you know, ever since that they've gotten Deshaun Watson as as the quarterback, what you think about the team, all bets are off. Like, this is a whole, like, you know, it used to be you just go, oh, yeah, you know, the defense is going to be good. The offense is going to be marginal to terrible and it'd be the same, you know, the special teams will suck. Like that was the story. Like it, at some point I could just have like a Mad Libs write up of games where it would be the exact same thing every week. And now, now that's not the deal. You know, now they are a team that can win in various ways. Um, at times they have to, really rely on Deshaun Watson being somebody that can do five things in a game that you've never seen in your life, which is, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to watch a quarterback where it's actually worthwhile purchasing that quarterback's jersey, you know, because, you know, there, there, there was always the time where the quarterback jersey is the most popular jersey. And then you're like, yeah, but do you really want to be wearing that jersey? Really? You know, if you're a jersey wearer, I mean, some of those jerseys were kind of questionable. Uh, but yeah, this is, I, I, I just, at this point with this quarterback, I'm just along for the ride and just watching to see, okay, can he stay healthy? Can components of the team stay healthy enough that you can, you can compete against the, the best teams? And, you know, the whole eighth toughest schedule thing is a big deal. You know, the story of the Patriots this season is like, wow, look at how devastating their defense has been. They haven't really had to push their offense too much. And then they finally got their first real big test against the Ravens this last week. 
Um, and they've had one of the easiest schedules in the league, you know? So a lot of times it's just, you know, the, the teams that end up winning the Super Bowl often are the teams that have had the easiest schedule. They don't get beat up during the season. They get some confidence. They get used to playing together and they get home field advantage, which is, is helpful. And, and, you know, you know, an easier way to get into the playoffs gives you a better probability of winning. There have been very few teams that have won the whole thing with very difficult schedules, but you know, those teams tend to be very good and being six and three with the eighth, eighth toughest schedule is kind of a big deal. And it's, it's Deshaun Watson. No game is out of line. I would, I would, I would like more games like this last week versus these games that you keep it close through the fourth quarter and it can go either way. Cause that gets a little hard on, on your internal organs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Houston, they are four and three in one score games this year too. So all three games they've lost have been blowouts. They've been, you know, close games like to Carolina and new Orleans as well too. Uh, for me personally, they've exceeded my expectations. I picked them to go eight and eight this year just because I saw like the issues on the pass defense and the pass rush and yeah. Watt's been hurt. And I, the offensive line is so much like no idea who was going to play where and when they were going to play where and, and they had to gel together and all that sort of stuff. But really at the end of the day, I really underrated just how good Deshaun Watson is. And like whenever yeah. you go, you spend like an entire summer not watching him play and like the New Orleans games happen, like, oh yeah, he's just like, you're completely unbelievable. Like you said, he routinely does things I've never seen anybody do it all before. And uh, so, yeah, like I, I was, I severely underestimated this team just mainly because of how good Deshaun Watson is. Well, you know, the, the, the moment that it really was just like a dagger kind of moment for a moment was, you know, where his eye got stepped on, like that play happened right in front of my seats. And, you know, they need the touchdown, they get the touchdown, everybody's real loud, and then you see him lying on the ground. And, you know, in the stadium where, you know, you don't get the replays and stuff, I'm just like looking at Twitter, it's like, okay, is my season over? You know, is this season over? You know, I, I still remember where I was when I found out that that Matt Schaub had the broken foot and was going to be out. <laughs> and you're like, okay, that's probably the season right there. You know, you just, you, you don't want to think that way, but, you know, there are some players that are just pretty important. Yeah. And Tom Watson, I mean, if we're talking about MVPs, he is definitely the MVP of the Houston Texans, and he would make any team better. For sure. And that play was weird, too, on television, because you know, he throws it, and they go back to him on the ground. And it was one of those plays, too, where like he's twisted around the pocket. And yeah. I, I think he's kind of like a tidal wave where he just flows in and out against you know whoever somebody's trying to hit him to slide out of it. And whenever you see those plays, you're like, yeah, it works out really well, and you're you're you know gratefully can make that sort of play. But always in the back of your mind, you're kind of concerned because of injuries. And so yeah. I, you kind of immediately think when you see something like that and see those pocket plays that you know he got twisted or you know, something got bent a wrong way. But no, yeah. he, he just got kicked in the eye and thought he lost his eyeball and threw a touchdown anyways. Yeah, like like in the replay, like he checks he checks to see if his eyeball is still there. Like, <laughs> but you know. He, You've you've played with people not not like Deshaun Watson, but there's always a couple people in any kind of league play that you do where 
the people are just just better. They're just better. They just want it more. And they make everybody better. And he's one of those people. For he sure. Just, he, he finds a way and like, you know, the catch probabilities on some of his passes are absurd. But, you know, he throws a really catchable ball. He, he I mean, that's, I, I think that's kind of an under, underrated thing. Like, you know, we all talk about arm talent and, you know, he can get it down the field. But he throws he throws with such great touch. I can't remember the player, but a, a couple of years ago they had like some third string quarterback, and and he would just rifle the ball even if it was just really close to the line of scrimmage. And you're like, oh, I don't know if he. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're talking about Ryan Mallett, and yeah, he would throw like maybe a drag out two yards away. It wasn't him, but you know, yeah, that touch wasn't Ryan Mallett's thing either. Yeah, that's that's all I always remember him. Just Ryan Mallett throw hard, no matter what it was at all. So, who's your who's been your favorite player to watch in the Texans? That's not Deshaun Watson. Who? Oh, that's that is. Well, Laramie Tunsil, you know, when he's been playing, um, because you know that was just such a like, whoa, this is. They did what? And then, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to watch this guy to see if if the value is anywhere close to this. And it's like, okay, yeah, I can see, I can see what they liked. <laughs> you know, how about you? Uh, I like watching Tunsil, but he's like so overwhelmingly good where it's kind of boring to watch him play. It's like, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's pass blocking. He just makes his block. And I, yeah, I he, he makes never, his block. He makes his block again. I will never ever be bored with a left tackle doing their job yeah because, I, I just mean more like he doesn't make he, they don't really pull him a lot he just kind of pass protects and kicks out yeah. the defensive end so it's not like he's pulling into the alley like how like oakland uses colton miller for example or yeah, yeah. or doing those sort of things so it's like yeah like he's just really really good at what he does uh i think for me this year it was dj reader and then he stopped rushing the passer so now it's been Arthur mckinney uh, he's been like he's got like better every year as in coverage. Like those two screen stops he had against Leonard Fournette were really good, and they're going to use him as a, a lot as a blitzer too. Now that Watts out, and they even yeah. rushed him off the edge last week, and I want to see more of that because he defended a pass. And I think like he's just as good of an edge rusher as like you know Brent Scarlett is, and so I'm really excited to see how Cornell will use him. Kind of like how whenever Watt went out in 16, and the way they he used Merciless and McKinney and, and Clowney. Uh, all like in a bunch of variety of different ways to create a pass rush. And so I think McKinney is going to be kind of the guy who's going to uh, get the most out of Watt not being healthy at all anymore. Well, and, and that's, that's the amazing part. I mean, Romeo Cornell and, and like in the modern NFL where it's really hard to keep people from scoring, given the rule changes, you know, a, a coach like him and, and some of the defensive, like, the really good defensive minds in the game are, are really interesting to watch just from a strategy perspective. It's like, okay, you know, you have no, you have no secondary players. They keep on dropping like flies. Uh, and the past defense that you thought you were going to have going into the season, you don't have, or your defensive line, you don't have. So what are you going to do? And, and, you know, he's really good at confusing young quarterbacks. Now, the question's going to be, okay, what happens when you face some non-traditional quarterbacks? Um, 
And what happens when you face some really good traditional quarterbacks, you know, that are accurate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cornell's like, he's been awesome. And like, I know everybody really hated much of that new Orleans game because everything that happened, but I really didn't know what he could do differently. Yeah, uh, exactly. And that one's like, yeah, it's, it's Drew Brees and they have Teg in and anybody can cover him even let alone Michael Thomas or Kamara or cook. And like they just attacked the center of the field. And so it's been really fun watching him kind of move Roby to the slot and then lose Roby and then figure out how to like teach Lion Johnson on press a little bit immediately and then lose him and then even use Justin Reed in the slot last week. And no matter what happens, he's able to find an answer too. And it's and it's worked out pretty much every single time. Well, and I just like I just like his mindset. I always like I always like coaches like him who keep calm, they know what they're doing. They are very direct in their being critical of things that should be critical. Um, but they're generous with praise when there's things that need to be praised. And he just has a really a kind of a good kind of I don't know, vibe about him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's weird too. He's been here for you know as long as O'Brien, and he's like been here longer than Wade Phillips ever was, and he probably is yeah. like the longest tenure defensive coordinator Houston's had. And I think he hasn't been you know praised enough. And I think this season's really kind of changed with all the injuries to defense and them having you know games like they had last weekend too. Sure. So Houston traded two first round picks and a sec uh, and a second round pick and Julian Davenport, the most important part of that trade package, of course, <laughs> for Laramie Tensel and Kenny Stills, and then on that. Same morning, before, I think it was before the Clowney trade, they did that. Uh, then, but earlier that morning, they traded Van Clowney for a big play, Barcavis Mingo, Jacob Martin, and they used that third round pick they got from Seattle for Gary and Conley. So now the Texans are six and three, and we've seen them play in this version of the team. Have your thoughts on these on these trades changed at all uh, with their performance so far this season? Well, I mean, I think the I think my general view of the trade was just yeah, the price is extraordinarily high and you're not really getting a ton out of, of Clowney. But part of the issue with the Texans going into the season was just a roster composition issue, which is you, you, you had two really expensive D-line players. Um, you On the offensive line, you... You had nobody good to like. It doesn't matter how many people you draft if you don't really have a good vet to pair with those people. They're just are they gonna are they gonna develop properly? Because you know, I think it's underrated to know how much how how much your teammates can be helpful in getting better as a player because your coaches are only around so much. And, you know, sometimes, you know, being able to pick people's brains and having an actual physically good player next to you improves you. You know, like if, if it's just chaos, rookies coming into chaos, there's very few rookies who are so good that they can overcome a chaotic situation. So I think the attempt of, of what they did was to deal with some of their roster composition issues where they were too old, they're too young, they're spending too much at a particular position and trying to flatten that out some. And, you know, if you look at at New England and how they have done things over time, because, you know, of course, you know, you tend to look at New England a lot with, you know, with just kind of 
you know, the history of the coaching staff. I think what I think New England doesn't value rookies as much as other teams do. They try to find pieces and parts that fit what their needs are. And um, like, I, I think that they try to get the value of vets because, you know, I think for a while there, the Texans were all like, Hey, let's see how many people we can get to their second contracts. But the second contracts are the really expensive ones under the, the current CBA. And if you have all these people on expensive contracts, well then what is your depth looking like? And so, you know, maybe if you make a situation where, you know, there are players that want to play with Tom Brady. Well, there may be players that want to play with Deshaun Watson, you know, and how do you build around that? And so they, they're, you know, everybody's saying, hey, the offensive line's a problem. Okay, well, let's fix it. You know, you can't instantly fix it even if you draft two, two good you know, offensive line rookies. You know, this is an attempt to go, okay, how do we take advantage of the window where we have Deshaun Watson as the quarterback? Now, not having Tensel under a contract is of a concern. Uh, Stills, you know, if if he can stay on the field, uh, he has some remarkable skills. And then Clowney, I just never, I never really saw that there was a value that would make sense for both the Texans and Clowney. Um, I mean, I think that that was always going to be an issue. Yeah, I, that was probably, I guess, the I think one of the best reasons, a different reason I've heard for the Tensel trade, um, like the merits of it, and. I think that, I think that's an interesting idea of just like, well, you have Watson, let's maximize this now, but also the fact that you may be building your team with first round picks and, and rookie contracts and try to get these guys a second contract and have a top heavy roster. Maybe it's in the same thing and with Watson and with, you know, this structure set up, maybe in the whenever they go to free agency since they can only build the rest of their team out through free agency, they can get guys on cheaper contracts to do that and really maximize their free agency because of the team they have set up now. Yeah. But I mean, they're going to have to really work on, you know, on, you know, they, they've had been very reliant on their high round picks and they had all those high round picks because they sucked, you know, and if they're planning on being better, um, they're going to have to get the most out of players who are not high round picks and they're going to have to be finding the value that you can find in free agency without, without, you know, like spending spending smartly yeah they're going to get a lot of guys like Shaq Barrett for you know one year five million dollars one of the funny things I thought about the tensile trade for analysis for it's like well it's a first round pick and most of these guys aren't good and you never hit it's like and they're not valuable it's like the Texans are built completely on first round picks yeah like this is a team that always sits on the first round picks the reason why they've been good is because of it and uh it's just it's just fun kind of see like how you know the arguments can kind of shift to you make it work out for your team specifically, uh, my I'd be like I understand the Tunsil trade, I get it. I was just what confused me about it, what I still can't go over is trading Clowney at the same day and making your team kind of worse whenever you already have cap space to pay him for that year. And really, the thing is, what happens they kind of realize, okay, we don't have a tackle, we need to have one, and they wanted to trade Clowney for a tackle, but they were trying to trade him after the extension deadline, and no team really wanted to give up a first round pick or a high pick or an offensive tackle and not even know if they could have Clowney after the season 
because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent anyways. And so it yeah. kind of it kind of led to that whole thing. So were happening. So that was my biggest gripe with the Tunsil trades that Clowney's really good and he bridges the gap for if Watt gets hurt or if even Watt was future to the next great Texans defense. And then you're also making your team worse while mortgaging your future at the same time. Yeah, I would have I would have liked to have kept I would have liked to just watch Clowney like you know. Like I got to watch him a lot in games and I would have liked to have seen what this, this squad looked like with Clowney. But, you know, I also think part of it is I don't think that they necessarily got the best looks when Watt, Clowney and um, Merciless were on the field at the same time. Um and and so you know maybe they're like okay we can we can work this for assets but they should have they should have dealt with him earlier but you know Clowney is a difficult player to to assess value wise because the sack of, the sack totals you know the sack totals and and his specific um, injury history mm-hmm. you know he had that microfracture early. And he's been able to do things on it, but microfracture, even the type that he had, um, you may not have the longevity that you want. Yeah, that's a great point too. And I, I think that's also kind of my thing too, that that trade as well. It's like, I just miss watching Clowney play. And I watch him yeah. in Seattle's final. Like he, just, he just does things I've never seen before. And he gets so close to making big plays in Seattle and doesn't quite get there. And so I constantly just like find myself rooting for him, just being like kind of devastated whenever he barely misses. But he's just one of those guys that's a lot of fun to watch play, and it's more fun to watch the Texans, and it's more fun to watch any football team whenever he's on that team. Well, and also, you know, the season's so long. You know, you, it's hard to, to think of like, oh, yeah, we just kind of pretty much gave away one of the better players on the team, and then you need to you need to excel against – you know, teams that have better quarterbacks than, than Minshew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and like, even in 16, when the Texans lost Watt, that was probably their best defense they've had. And that was with, you know, Merciless and Clowney and McKinney blitzing up the middle a lot and AJ Boya becoming like a, like a pro bowl cornerback. And then you also have Jonathan Joseph, Kareem Jackson playing at very high levels too. And so they don't have that same level of talent, but they may work out so far. And it's really interesting to see what they do whenever they have to score you know, more than you know, 27 points or they find themselves in shootouts again. And we kind of see like 2017 New England or 2017 uh, Seattle football they have to play. So yeah. yeah, so from here on out, the Texans have the 11th toughest schedule. They play Baltimore after the bye, then Indy, then New England. And that's like their big three-game stretch. And they sell down for Denver, who they're not even starting their rookie quarterback. They're starting another rookie quarterback they have. Tennessee, who has Ryan Tannehill. And they, don't have no, they have no pass rush. They can't block very well, but they have a good run defense and they can cover okay. And then Tampa, who can just stop the run, throw the ball really far downfield. And then Tennessee again, week 17. So what, what's your prediction for the Texans record from here on out? And do you have any expectations from this team aside from I'm just going to enjoy watching Deshaun Watson play. He's very good, and I like watching this Texans team. Well, see, that's part of the deal with with Watson is you know is is really hard to to predict this team. Like, if if you look at just them by the numbers, they're not terrible, terrible any at anything other than you know, their their pass defense, and and maybe that number improves after this last week. 
And part of that is that they've faced a very difficult schedule, but they don't, they aren't only one thing. They are whatever the game dictates in a particular week, you know, like, like I am, I'm curious to see how they play against Baltimore because Baltimore is just kind of the army of the NFL. You know, they have just such a unique way that they attack on offense that it's hard to predict how the Texans defense would play against that style. Um, the Colts seem to have, I mean, I think the Colts are, are coached well. And so they seem to have something on the Texans. And um, I'll be interested to see how that goes. And then New England is New England. I, I think they're so far into uh, into their heads. But, you know, maybe Watson can make that uh, a difference on that. So, I mean, I'd be surprised if they were terrible, but um, I, I don't know what this team can be. I mean, I think it, it, it all depends on kind of their chemistry down the stretch and whether they could kind of be like the – the Patriots are this year where, you know, nobody was really expecting that defense to be any good. And then they've been really good. And I mean, part of that's the schedule, but part of it is from a scheme perspective, some teams can excel without having, you know, the star that they just play very good scheme that makes it difficult on, on opposing offenses. And that's the kind of team that they're going to have to be. Mm-hmm. And then th- and then kind of throw the ball downfield and let. I think that's kind of the biggest thing this team needs to start doing is, whenever they play these teams with bad linebackers, this like read option offenses work very well. But I think it's going to change when they play Baltimore teams that can kind of score points in interesting ways and they can do it. Yeah. Like, they can throw the ball downfield. It's just uh, doing it. I think they're going to go ten and six. I think they win one out of these three games between Baltimore, Indy, New England. And I think uh-huh. they lose to Tampa just because Tampa is like absurd with how well they throw the ball downfield. But Tampa is also really stupid at the same time. This is just kind of like if they play four yeah. of these games the last month, I think they're going to lose one out of those four too. But they'll go three and one down the stretch, one and two in these next in this next batch. And I also think they're going to play Baltimore really well next week because they stopped the run. Uh, Justin Reed can make a bunch of tackles. McKinney and Cunningham can run with Jackson. I don't know how well they can tackle him. But as long as yeah. they can limit their ability to you know, getting Jackson against their cornerbacks. And then they'll be able to corral them some. And that really kind of comes down to the Ravens are a team that throws the ball to their tight ends a lot. Houston's been really good covering tight ends, especially Tayshawn Gibson coming back. And they don't throw the ball to wide receivers really at all. And that's kind of the thing. The Texans are probably going to be the worst at that and their pass rush. And the pass rush doesn't really matter that much against Lamar Jackson too. So I think they'll play them tough. I think they'll play how it play out. And as far as the playoffs go, like I have zero expectations at all. I've kind of learned to not have expectations whenever it comes to, to big, important games. It's better just enjoy and see what happens. And like I had expectations after going to the Colts game earlier this year. I'm like, I'm not going to do that again. I'll just enjoy Deshaun Watson, and well, uh, this team's fun know, to watch. But, you know, a lot of the early in the season stuff, I mean, just think about how many players are playing for the Texans who weren't there during training camp. Like, really important players. Yeah your left tackles and your running backs and you still have a fairly young offense, which, you know, a Kenny stills was kind of helpful to add to your roster composition. Like, and they, they played well early in the season. Like I thought they were going to just, I don't know about this, you know, when, when they were adding all these players and, you know, 
their plans were kind of awry, but that they're like, Hey, we need players. We're going to get these players and they're going to have to learn it real quick because we don't have any options. Uh, and, and so despite having that really tough schedule, you know, they, they kind of put it together. Now, can they stay healthy enough down the stretch to kind of really get together as a team? And I'm telling you the Deshaun Watson show, when, when you see things that are remarkable like this, you just have to appreciate it in the moment. And it's sometimes hard to, to know what history will be at in the moment that you're experiencing it. But I, I've seen enough, like that Titans game, his rookie season, like that, that I think is the upside of this team. I, I, I think that's, that's what is theoretically possible. Where, and in, in, to a lesser degree, what we saw in London, where they just start feeding off of each other. Yeah, they, and they, I think also kind of have that nobody believes in this quality too, just because of the trades and kind of the, you know everybody, like even me including you, I think all this stuff was very was was dumb that they did and it's worked out and uh, and they kind of still have like that outside, you know, they're kind of like an outsider too in the playoff race from you know, a lot of uh, analysts and that sort of thing, just because they've never done before and. New England, Baltimore have been very good, and, and that whole sort of thing as well too. And like every time they've had the expectations, they've haven't kind of met them. Going back to the Colts game last year, and even that game they played in the playoffs against New England, sixteen. Those kind of like those those like opportunities have been there. They just haven't taken advantage of them. And with Watson, you're fully healthy, and this being the best team that he's played on too, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. I just I'll, I'll keep my heart a little bit more pure, I guess, for a little bit longer. Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing for me is just you know the Watt injury happening is just kind of that's just that's just hard you know like they're gonna have to have a lot of health down the stretch and there's a lot of games left yeah and that's a great point too and i know during the season you kind of like every game feels so important and so meaningful but there's a lot of them and like everything changes so much week to week with injuries and and schemes and everything else and uh, like I know, like week four felt really monumental, or whatever the winning against the Chargers felt, re- felt really monumental. And then they lose to the Colts, and then that feels really monumental. And they win three games in a row. And like here you are again. So uh, yeah, it's kind of the joys of football. So I and part of it is just you know, especially locally, people have a sense of you know, Bill O'Brien is this, and you know, you know, this player is this, and this is how they are. But you know that's all kind of in in some ways a fiction you know there are many alternative futures that can happen and some of those alternative futures have a lot to do with just luck and injury luck that's just the nfl it's a violent sport and the teams that all the teams are right now are not going to be the teams that that come to the playoffs just how it is yeah, and yeah, that's a, that's a great point too. I know December football is like the most important football, and you always see like two or three teams just fall apart in December and miss the playoffs and that sort of thing too. But the Texans do have a, at least a nice, easy December schedule this year. So well, you would hope, you hope, just the whole idea of playing the Titans twice in December when that that schedule came out, I'm just like gross. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> I may I may actually have to go to Houston for one of those Titans games because that sounds like a lot of fun. And listening to you talk about Deshaun Watson too, I want to see it in person. Okay, well, you and and anybody who is game enough to listen this long, 
you're invited to my tailgate, the front row of the platinum lot, and I will make sure that you get all the food and beverages that that y'all deserve. Perfect. I'll, I'll look into it now. I'll start. Uh, I'll get. I'll go get my oil changed tomorrow to get ready for. So it's ready for December. Okay. Good. All right. So I won't take up too much more of your time at all. Uh, this was a lot of fun. It was really great hearing about you know the te- going the London experience, and then also getting your thoughts too from for the Texans for the second half of the season on. And you have a lot of things that I really haven't thought about before in a, in a different way too. And so now I'm kind of like confused about my own thoughts because of it. So thank you for that. Uh, so what's the best way to catch your stuff? I know you do really great game previews on Friday. I usually read like Sunday morning after I write mine so you don't poison my brain too much. I do the same thing. Like I don't read anybody else's stuff until I write my stuff. And then I'm like, okay, let's compare notes. Because all of these things are just kind of working theories like, like, you know, there's some people that go, this is how I feel about it. And then I put the data to support what I feel. And I don't like that mindset at all. I like the whole mindset of, okay, this is my working theory of what this thing is. And you're going to get more data and your working theory changes. It's just kind of fun. But uh, yeah, you can find my game previews. Actually, the best way to find everything, because sometimes search is hard, is to um, follow me on Twitter at Steph. P-H Stradley, S-T-R-A-D-L-E-Y. And in my bio, I have links to my Chronicle stuff and my personal blog. Great. I'll, uh, yeah, make sure you, if you're still listening, make sure you check out the game previews and also check the one I write. You know, both of them are really good. They get paired together very well. And I always like checking out usually Sunday morning too or, or Saturday night as I kind of like, you know, I'm done with everything that I'm done writing for the week too. Um, but yeah, thanks for being on tonight, Steph, and thanks for all the information. And I'll have to go to London. I'll have to read the sports section. I'll have to <laughs> go to a pub and gamble, and I'll have to go see Deshaun Watson in person this year. Definitely. So, anyways, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio, and thank you for being on tonight, Steph. Mm-hmm.